Hello and welcome to Back of the Net and Beyond. My name's Danny Thomas. Today I'm going to be speaking to Kevin Nicholson, who's a former teammate who used to play for Sheffield Wednesday, Notts County and Torquay. How's it going, Kev? Long time no see. Mate, just the 20 years, isn't it? So no, good to see you. Good to see just you. The 20, just the 20. Um, yeah, well, you've changed a little bit, um, obviously. <laughs> what, are get, what are you getting at? What are you getting at? <laughs> Now, you're still looking well, mate. You've always been one of them who kind of looked uh, a lot older than uh, than you are anyway. Um, but I think you've kind of plateaued a little bit. Um, you kind of, I'd probably say you look a bit younger than what you actually are now. Whereas all those years before, you probably looked 20 when you were like 15. I'm living the dream, mate. I, like when you're younger, you want to look older, don't you? And when you're older, you want to look younger. So That's I've just it. about got it right based That's on it. that. I appreciate That's it. Brilliant. I mean, yeah, so... How's life? How, how are you treating life? Because normally people tend to say, how's life treating you? But how are you treating life at the moment? Yeah, good, mate. Really good. I mean, yeah. obviously, it's been an interesting year for everybody, hasn't it? And yeah. um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to be in a, a kind of line of work where I've worked all the way through it, albeit with a slightly kind of hybridised version of what I would normally do. Um, mm. But yeah, it's kept me busy. You know, a lot of people desperate to get back to work. I think I'm about ready for a, a couple of weeks off over Christmas, um, which is something I've not been able to say before, really. I think I've only ever had one other Christmas off in my uh, in my adult life, just because of football. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking forward to that with with the young kids. And um, I, I certainly can't moan, you know, with everything that's going off out there, I feel pretty fortunate overall. That's awesome, mate. And um, I mean... Obviously, time's gone on. You've, you've obviously got a family and same with myself as well. So what I would say is obviously when you get that time off over Christmas, you, you will enjoy it because since I've been working like a nine to five, what's the last eight years there or thereabouts, Christmas off and my birthday, I have that off as well. And also my wife's birthday and my kid's birthday. So that was one of the first things I said as soon as I stopped playing. Because obviously, you know, it's like when you're playing, I've had Christmas days where I've been kind of, not at home and whatever else so first thing i took advantage of was uh was that so yeah like you say you will enjoy it anyway um but first of all thanks for coming on um just let everyone know kind of what you're doing now like tell us about kind of your uh, employment situation at the moment so i'm i'm currently the head of coaching at uh, exeter city so um it's a fairly new role last few years it's come about it's a probably a bit more prominent in other sports um, it's essentially a a coach development role so rather than just focusing on the players and I do work with the players but rather than just focusing on the players really it's my job to help develop and work with the coaches to then allow them to help develop the players um, it's it's kind of it was seen that they used the term they wanted a bit of grey hair in the building because the uh, <laughs> The academy's full of really kind of up-and-coming young coaches who are really yeah. starting to find a way. And obviously, the, the the last kind of probably last couple of years has been a lot of real positive press coming out of uh, of Exeter's academy and the the players that they've been continually developing. And and it's my job to make sure that that continues because as is always the way, when you're up there doing good things, there's people wanting to take you down and, and take you over. So mm. um, it's a, a very, very different job to, to what I've done before. Mm. Um, I was 
fortunate, fortunate enough, you know, I, I came straight out of Lillishall as you did, um, with my beard already there at 15, 16, 17, <laughs> and, uh, and kind of went straight into football and that's all I ever knew, you know, I was, I was really fortunate to, to play for 20 years, um, you know, you named a couple of my clubs there, but I was, I went around really, I had a bit of time at Scarborough, a bit of time at Forest Green, and then I, I came down to Torquay in 2007, thinking it would be a couple of years adventure, um, and I ended up playing for the team for, for seven years. Um, I had a year at Kidderminster, a little bit of time at Bath, and then went back to Torquay as player manager. Mm. Um, so I, I've never kind of, that adventure is still ongoing because I'm still down here now. Um, kind of moved down with my then girlfriend, now wife, and we, nice. we were kind of young and free and single in that sense. But then we're now kind of trapped with three kids and, uh, and real life hits. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's 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 been brilliant, and you know, it's been an amazing time down here. And then my time at Tokyo, I got sacked as manager in 2017, four games into that new season, um, and then went on a bit of a, a journey again. Really, I did a bit of scouting for Man City, so I was lucky enough to have wow. a bit of time in that organisation and and see how things are run at the absolute top end. Some brilliant people there, really, really. The amazing thing about a club like that is how down to earth the people that work there are. You kind mm. of imagine this thing where you walk in and it's just the elite of the elite, mm. but actually they're just normal people doing really good stuff at the top mm. level. And it was quite um, quite encouraging because you kind of realise that actually it's attainable. You know, you yeah. could if you put the work in and you get the breaks and you know the right people and you get the qualifications, then actually you could find yourself at a club like that working and it just doesn't seem that way when you spent so long in the, the lower leagues yeah. you know most most of my career is league one league two and, and national league mm. um and then uh, uh this opportunity actually came around to go and do a a, a kind of all-round job at a place called mausel which is in uh, in near penzance right down in cornwall yeah. a few miles from land's end and they had a really ambitious kind of money man who wanted to take them from step seven all the way up to football league. Mm. And he wanted to build an academy. Um, he wanted to give hope. The, the thing about being that far down there is there's a lot of really good players. Mm. But if you're in the Midlands and you get released, you've probably got a dozen clubs within an hour that you've got a chance of, of getting yourself in at. Yeah. If you're in Cornwall, if you don't get picked up by Plymouth Argyle, the chances are you're not getting picked up. And so... <laughs> There's some re really decent players down there with no opportunity. Um, yeah. And it, it was quite an interesting remit because the guy who owned it, his only kind of thing to me was, I can do whatever I want. I can pick whatever team I want, get the players in that I wanted. We had a, a mix of full-time and part-time players. Mm. Um, I trained every day with that group. I was player, manager, coach, academy director, scout um and the only remit i had is we had to play like man city we had to play he was a big leeds fan and he liked the way leeds and man city played so it was my only thing was the goalkeeper could not kick the ball out of his hands you had to play out of the back no matter what wow. so I, I was under more pressure to get i, I would have more likely got sacked winning six nil playing long than i would getting beat two nil playing total football and on some of the pitches at that level you're looking at you know virtual park pitches yeah. And I'm asking these lads that have never played a game of professional football to absolutely bop it out the back. And to be fair to them, I, I think it empowered them. You know, when, the, when a manager says to you, look, you're going to do yeah. this. This is why you're going to do it. This is how you're going to do it. If you make a mistake, no problem. It's on me. Like, it, I think it empowered them to go out and do it. And do you know what? It was, 
I did it for a year and it was absolutely brilliant. Really loved it. The, the only thing I struggled with was being fortunate enough throughout my career to, to play in front of people, you know, a few yeah. thousand here and a few thousand there and chants and songs and so on. Yeah. This was at times one man and his dog, you know, like the, there was no one watching. At some of the away games, you'd be lucky to get double figures, that kind of uh, football. Wow. The, the, the club itself was reasonably well supported. You'd get a hundred odd people at home games. They were real loyal, real lovely feel to the place, you know, like local people that just love football, love the club. Yeah. Uh, no matter what, winning, losing, it's all about you know, the Saturday there, watching the game, having a few drinks, that kind of stuff. But mm. we brought a real professional vibe to it. Um, mm. Really enjoyed it. And then this this opportunity came up at Exeter and it was, I, I'd, I'd just left Mausel. I'd been kind of doing pre-season, full-on scouting at City. It was um, a, a good month in July because obviously you've got so many games in pre-season. And then this yeah. opportunity came up and it was just... A, a complete change of pace. Um, really? You know, the, the, the thing about first team football, as you know, is that the it, it's 100 miles an hour, you know, like your feedback is immediate. You, mm. you know, on the weekend, if you're a player, if you keep your place in the team, you know you're doing all right. If you win, you get three points, you know you've done okay. If, if the crowd are cheering your name, you're in a good place. Yeah. If you've been dropped and you're on the bench, if you've just lost a game that you should have won, if the crowd are booing you off the pitch, you get really quick and very, very clear feedback that something's not quite right. Mm. In this job, the nature of it is such that it's really, really slow by comparison. You, you've got to build meaningful, trusting, deep relationships with all of the coaches and as many mm. players as that you can get around because they need to trust you completely for, for you to give them some real feedback to help their development as a coach. Um, and in a lot of ways, you, you ask, you know, who am I to tell anybody else how to coach? Um, and the answer to that is it, it doesn't really matter because the whole point of coaching, as long as you've got a rationale, mm. as long as you understand why you're doing it. Uh, you're going to get my phone. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Classic one, that, isn't it? That's uh, the no, modern I'll age that we live in. So. I'll be honest with you. I lost you for the last, like, eight seconds there. So it's fine anyway. Um, and this is kind of the way I want it because it's a bit organic. Um, but I want to touch on your career a bit later on and obviously what you're doing now in a bit kind of more detail. There's certain aspects I want to touch on regarding that as well. But I want to go kind of in right at the deep end. So in terms of your kind of transition away from football your retirement process how did that come about and how how did it make you feel hmm. well i mean to be honest this job i i was like i say player into player manager at torquay into player manager at mausel um and i loved playing and i felt i could probably i was 38 just just about to turn 38 Okay. And and I felt at the level that I was as at, I probably had another you know two to four years left of playing if if I could stay injury free, and I was pretty dedicated to make sure I could. And then yeah. this job came about, and the, the hours are such, and the responsibility is such that there's, there's no way you could continue to play while doing it. This was mm -hmm. a this was the next step, you know, the real next step. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was it was bizarre to be honest. It was. A mixture of 
kind of relief and pride and happiness that I'd, I'd had such a fortunate career. You know, I never had any real injuries. Mm. I, I played just short of 700 games. Um, I had some amazing experiences, met some great people, all of that kind yeah. of stuff. I, I loved playing. I loved training. I loved working hard. I loved trying to improve all the way up to the very end. That's all I was focused on. Mm. Um, and then this comes about and I'm still in football. I still train, you know, I still see training every day. Mm. I still take part in it now and then. I still see games every weekend, more games than I've ever seen. Mm. You still have the kind of football banter that, at, at times, but actually the responsibility is such that you're not, you know, you, you've got to make sure that there's that distance between you, the coaches and the players, because mm. you're, you're the line manager for for most of them. And, they, you know, they're, they're going to, you're going to do their appraisals and all those kind of things, which was pretty mm. new to me. The, the, the idea of a real appraisal and a football appraisal are very different things. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I probably equally relished and struggled. You know, like I, I lost my identity because I was no longer Kev Nicholson, the footballer. Mm. I no longer had the get up at nine o'clock, go into training for 10, train for a couple of hours, eat, do my gym work pick the kids up. You know, I had a real structure. It was no longer Monday was the beginning of the week. Tuesday was a hard work day. Wednesday was yeah. a day off. Thursday, prepare. Friday, refine. Saturday, play. Yeah. Sunday off, repeat. You know, I, I, don't, I think most of us as footballers love that level of um, routine, that, that you love knowing what you're looking for and what's coming. Yeah. Um, and, and I did. I, I thrived on it. Now, this job, you're never quite sure where the week starts and the next one ends. And, okay. you know, it's, it's, it's really, really long hours. You know, like uh, you're in some Sundays, you're off some Sundays. You're, mm. you're very much, I'm fortunate enough to kind of be the master of my own diary in some ways. So if I need to take a bit of time here, I can do. But at the same mm. time, I've got to make sure there's certain things I'm there for. Yeah. So you end up working crazy hours with no massive routine. Whereas before I knew I could work out at 10 in the morning and two in the afternoon, yeah. it's now yeah. work out whenever I can. Cause I, I'm, <laughs> I'm big on making sure that you stay fit and healthy and you live, you know, it's massive for me that you live what you teach. You know, it's it, whether you're a coach or a player, it's mm. important that you, you talk the talk and walk the walk and you yeah. need to keep yourself in good condition. You need to keep yourself fit. You, you can't walk out onto a training pitch in front of other coaches and players and look heavy and tired and out of shape. And you've got to make sure, for me anyway, in my opinion, you've got to make sure that if they're going to trust me, they're going to look at me and think, wow, this guy does exactly what he tells. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you find a way to fit those kind of things in. So it gives you a kind of routine, mm. but you do lose that identity. You know, you're not Kev Nicholson, the footballer anymore. You're, you're yeah. now, you know, in a job that not many people know about head of coaching. It, as a, it's a new a new area in the game, you know, the Premier League are pushing it um, mm. because of the success it's had in other sports. We're trying to create elite coaches in this country to compete with all of the elite coaches that keep coming in and, and mm. taking the jobs. You know, you look at the, the top of the Premier League now and people are always going to talk about um, Mourinho, Guardiola, uh, Klopp, you know, mm. these guys that have continually won the league over the last few years. Um, mm. Uh, and and we need to kind of push to get these elite British coaches uh, to to really stand up and be counted in our game. And you know, there's a you know, we talk a lot about the certain 
I suppose, how people look at British coaches compared to um, the, the kind of European and, and yeah. worldwide counterparts, the experience that those guys have before the English do, because so many of these guys, when they come over here, have actually managed 150 games already, mm. whereas most of the British coaches have, have kind of only managed a handful before they get thrown in there. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so fascinating job, really enjoying it, learning so much because it's constantly talking to people that have been in and around it, managed, coached, mm. put programs together, Premier League guys, PFA guys, football league guy, you know, incredible mm. networking, incredible uh, education in football. Mm. And, and I've not had that, you know, because you're always just looking as a player, what's next? Yeah. You know, when's the next game? When's the next training session? When's my next contract up? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so th this, the feedback in this, I've been in it now for 16 months and I'm really now just starting to see that the people that I'm working with now are starting to really trust me. Mm. I think they're now starting to understand who I am, what I'm about, what I know. Um, they, they should now have seen my vulnerabilities. I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I've got loads to learn. But I also know that I've got an experience in the game that not many have, you know, with the, the years that I've been in it and the experiences that I've had. And I yeah. want to try and give that back. You know, I, I love giving it back as a manager to players. And I found that really easy because I could be on their level really, really well. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd been there. I'd been in their position. I'd been, you know, like we were at Lillyshaw, I'd been top of the tree. I'd been mm. the elite of the elite. And the next big thing, I'd also felt what it's like to to lose that really quickly and fall out, like feel like you're going to fall out of the game and, and not have mm -hmm. a career. I've worked my way back up. I've fallen back down again. You know, I've had all those kind of experiences mm -hmm. and hung about long enough to, to have a career out of it. Whereas relating to coaches in a game where my opinion is no more valid than yours or anybody else's, as long as they can verbalize, articulate, discuss, um, rational uh, rationale why they think what they think and why they're coaching what they're coaching and how they're doing it then who am I to say it's any different you know we all love watching free-flowing football on the floor but if you want to yeah. smash the life out of it and run after it all power to you if it's getting you yeah. results and, and, it, and your players are enjoying it and so on then knock yourself up mm. it's uh, very very interesting but very very different that's amazing, mate. And obviously, it seems really interesting. It seems like an interesting role, and you did touch on it. You mentioned, I mean, I've heard it banded around, kind of head of coaching, and it seems like a bit of a new kind of thing within within football, essentially. Um, but going back slightly, so with regards to your retirement, obviously, you kind of fell into it indirectly. Um, but did you get any help at that point from kind of any other, say, teammates that you used to have or, or people within uh, the club or family members, anything kind of organisations within football? Did anyone help you, give you any hints and tips or anything? No, I mean, I'd spent so long being the guy giving those tips because I'd kind of, I'd outlived as a player so many of my kind of cohort and so many of my teammates and I'd been unfortunate enough in some ways to be manager when players careers have been cut short through injury and, mm. you know, it's really easy to give the advice and I know it's good advice that don't define yourself by what you do. Define mm. yourself by who you are. You know, mm. you're not Kev Nicholson, the footballer. You're Kev Nicholson, the husband, the father, the person. You mm. know, it's it's really easy to talk about that. But it's I I used to see a, a, a psychologist um, out of interest as much as anything else. Mm. 
and um, and he once described those kind of feelings as horse and jockey. So you've mm. got your conscious and your subconscious, and you're yeah. you consciously know that you're never going to be able to play forever. You know that it's not the end of the world. You know that it, it was always going to happen, and you know that there's life after football. But your subconscious is a whole different ball game. You've done it for 25 years. You know, you, as a you've started playing at 10. You've you've kind of played hundreds of games before you've even turned 16. You've mm. gone through the YTS system as it was then, the scholarship as it is now. Mm. You've been a pro. Football, 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 and all of a sudden now you are not that active footballer type. You're now into the education side of it and the development and the coaching side of it and so I've given all that advice but when I kind of got into this job I didn't have time to really go and talk to anybody and nobody I wasn't kind of carrying it around I wasn't depressed I wasn't anxious I wasn't down it was just I find myself driving along and have like a real kind of strong reflection on wow you know this time last year i was playing in this game and and mm. now i'm getting ready for christmas off with a family or you know i'm, I'm on, on one of these crazy we, we do some brilliant courses there's a when you're the head of coaching one of the kind of prerequisites is you have to go on a course called the ehoc the elite head of coaching award mm. and it's absolutely brilliant you know like you you meet with all the other head of coaches you meet with all the governing bodies you go on these incredible experiences mm. you learn loads but you, as I'm driving up to the Lake District to go on our kind of induction on EHOC, I'm thinking that it was only three months ago I was planning on getting ready for another season to play. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's it's those th thoughts that jump in there at the, the, the time, a quiet time where the kids aren't running around and you're not having to work. And it's like, wow, yeah. you know. Well, I remember sitting in that circle as a kid and everybody, the coach saying, look, enjoy it because it's going to go quick and mm. make sure you make the most of it because you, you, you'll never believe how fast it goes. And do you know what? At the time you think, well, yeah, all right, but I'm only 16. And yeah. then bang, here you are. That's it. And, and it's like, wow. <laughs> you, you know, everybody tells you, but until it happens, you can't truly kind of get your head around it. And, and even then it's not easy to get your head around yeah, um, it's almost surreal, isn't it? It's it's almost surreal, and it, like you said, it does come around uh, a lot faster than you initially thought it would. Um, but yeah, I mean, so obviously you've touched on what you, you what you're doing now and the experiences around that, and it all sounds great. And obviously, you mentioned that you didn't really have much help because you, you kind of I wouldn't say you were fast tracked into it, but you didn't really have much time to think. Um, and again, you you capitalised on that opportunity. And, obviously long mate continue because it's one of those where I'm assuming you'll grow into it and there's always stuff to learn in, in anything but more so in sport because um, it's always evolving like infrastructure and finances and whatever else and as you know football sport can take you anywhere across the world essentially um, but why do you think that kind of a lot of athletes find the transition away from sport harder than others like some find it really difficult me personally I found it really easy probably because I was in control of it indirectly. It was my choice to stop playing. And then I, I had a job, I had like two or three months off just resting. Um, and then I, I got a job basically. Um, so that was quite easy for me. Um, but again, for you, similar kind of, you were working, then you got kind of thrown into this opportunity, which is great. But others, it's kind of injury or they know their career's ending, so they choose to retire. But then it's like, okay, well, what next? Um, so why do you think it's kind of harder for, for some people? 
I think I'd go back to a lot of the stuff I've kind of touched on, really. I think most of us were the guys at school that saw the careers advisor and were asked what you're going to be, and you say, I'm going to be a footballer. You know, when you were 10, 11, 12, and, and you got laughed out of the room, you know, I'll know, you know, realistically what you're going to be. But you were hell-bent that you were going to be a footballer and you were mm. one single-minded, you were kind of tunnel vision that that's what you're going to do. And you played it every day and you thought about it every minute. And, and then when you actually get into it, well, here you go. I, I'm doing exactly what I said I'm going to do. Mm. You get a certain kudos with it, regardless of whether you're Cristiano Ronaldo or Kev Nicholson playing at Torquay there is a certain celebrity that goes with it. There's a certain, you know, you, you people tap you on the shoulder walking down the street and ask you how things are and you might have to sign an autograph. And that might, you know, obviously with somebody like David Beckham, that's every minute of his day and he tries to find ways not to make that happen. Yeah. When, you're down in the, when you're down in the lower leagues, it's quite nice. You know, it's a, well, here you go. That's, he knows who I am. That's nice. You have a chat with him. <laughs> you talk about the game at the weekend. There's something... Now, yeah. how many people, with, with, that, with all due respect, how many people in an office job or on a building site or um, teachers and nurses mm -hmm. and these people that do really valuable, you know, critical jobs, how mm -hmm. many get that level of, of kudos? How many get that, that level of kind of mini celebrity like that? You, you know, you do your little, you'll go and open a shop or you'll go and give presents out at a hospital and mm -hmm. meet the kids and you'll do the stuff in the community where hundreds of kids will come around and again, doesn't matter if you are Wayne Rooney or Kev Nicholson or anybody else at any lower league footballer. The moment they know you're a footballer, the kids are mind blown that this mm -hmm. guy can play. This guy's a footballer. It doesn't matter who you play for. It's an absolute, you know, eyes wide open. Wow, this guy's mm -hmm. a footballer. Can I have your autograph? You know, all those kind of things. So you get used to that. It becomes normal. Um, your routine. Your routine is set in stone as a footballer. You know, vast, regardless of what club you're at, every club has that routine, and most of them are very, very similar. You'll have probably four working days in a week. Two of them will be physically difficult. One of them will be a day off. Oh, sorry, one will be a day off, and then the other two will be prep days, ready for the game. You'll have your match day, which is your, this is what you've worked for. This is what it's all about. You'll have the buzz, the adrenaline, the, the absolute kind of high of going out and playing in front of people. You know, people are paid to watch you play football. This is what mm. you dreamt about. You get your name sang, you get, you know, you clap the fans off at the end and what a feeling that is as they clap your back and, and mm. all those kind of things. And then all of a sudden, bang, it's gone. You know, I, I, I'm never going to do that again. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, as far as I'm, I know, I might never, you know, in my eyes, I want to probably go back into management at some point. So I might be lucky enough to get that. But actually... Mm -hmm. Most of us will never get that opportunity again and it's gone and it's finished. And, and I think there's a lot to get your head around as a human being there. It's a complete change of pace. Yeah. Um, and so many other jobs seem boring compared to football. They seem a lot harder work than it is to be a footballer. I think you actually, as a footballer, almost forget how hard it is to get there and then stay there. That's yeah. why such a small percentage actually get to do it. But when it's you living that life, you don't think about it like that. Nah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's almost seems like, uh, I don't know. But I, I knew I wanted to stay in coaching from about 28. I, I would just mm -hmm. been promoted into league two with uh, Torquay. I was getting absolutely rinsed by a couple of wingers. And I heard, I heard one of the managers who I was up against shout on, get the full back. He can't move. Oh, and at wow. that point, 
at that point was when I realized that I wasn't going up until then, up until 28 and I'd been all the way down to the conference and I was on my way back up the leagues. Mm. Up until then, I still had focus that I was going to be a championship player minimum. That was where I was going to get. And and at that level, you sign one kind of three-year contract, you probably not got to work again if you look after it. And that was my, I was going to get there. I was going to get back where I started at Sheffield Wednesday in the Premier League and then the championship. Mm. I was going to get back there. And that comment, because I knew at that point, you know, I, I, I could be a good League Two player, yeah. but I, I wasn't now. The game had moved on. You know, like, mm. I wasn't the, the modern player. I wasn't athletic. I wasn't quick. Um, mm. I, I wasn't one of these ultra-strong, ultra-fit, ultra-quick types, which the game is made up of at the top end now. Mm. And at that point, I knew I wanted to go into coaching. I knew I wanted to go into management. So I had a new focus. So probably that's probably why it was easier for me than it, it was for some. And I've stayed in the game throughout. I've not really, I think I had about a six month period where I just left Torquay. There was nothing on the horizon. I was doing what a lot of managers do and just going out and watching games. And it was actually quite nice. I was still in football. I, I didn't see myself as retired. So I didn't have that sinking feeling that we're talking about now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and other than that, I'd kind of gone all the way through it. So Mm. I think there's so much that goes on. There's so much that you define yourself by that Mm. completely goes and it is simply just done. And it might be an injury. It might be um, a manager gets rid of you and you can't get another contract and you don't have a choice. Or like in my case and what you've described, you might be fortunate enough to go out on your own terms. I didn't have to take this job. Mm. But I felt like it was too good an opportunity at too good a football club and I could make too big of a difference doing it to, to turn it down. And therefore, I knew the moment I said, yes, I would love to come and join Exeter City and do that job, I knew that my playing career was done. Um, and, and even during this time, I've kind of had periods where I thought, do you know what, I could probably sign up to a, you know, a step five, step six team and play the odd game. <laughs> I I train with the 18 now and then and I still think you know what I'm all right I could do this yeah until somebody, until somebody runs past me and I realize I can barely move anymore but the actual you don't lose that kind of striking of the ball and your first touch and all those yeah, things you know, it's, it's yeah. with you so you know even now even though I'm talking in a way that would make you maybe think that I've got over it and I'm okay and I'm on to the next when I go out and I'm training with those boys there's that voice in my head that wants to be the best that wants to be the best player out there, that wants to affect the game, even if it is a five-a-side in training, mm. that wants to put the best set plays in on a Friday because that's what I used to do. Yeah. And I can still do it and all that kind of stuff. It's in there. And I think that being the case makes it so hard for so many people to, to move on from it because a lot of people don't get to the opportunity to even do that like I do. That's it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that it's multi Faceted. It's a really hard question to answer clearly in one go because we're all different, you know, beings, aren't we? But mm. there's, there's, it, it takes a very special person, I think, to just say, Do you know what? I've had my time. I'm done. What's next? And then move on away from the game. You know, I, I'm in it because I want to stay in it, and, and I've got my plans. But to just say, right, great, enjoyed that. Now I'm going to go and do a, a normal job. Mm. I think that that takes a, a hell of a thing when you've had such a history in the game like that. And so that was what I did. So my story, long, long and short of it, in a nutshell, was played for Tamworth, full season, and then literally um, had about two weeks off. So I'm in the off-season now. Two weeks off, just rest and recuperation. Had a call. Team in Iceland wants me. 
and obviously you remember Reese Weston, so he yeah, was yeah. out there. So I, I randomly I was like, oh, actually Reese is out there. So I messaged him and he was like, listen, you need to get over here. Blah blah blah. It's really good. Okay, brilliant. It turned out the team that I signed for was his rival team. So it was a big rivalry, rivalry there. So literally went out there, spent a few days. They just wanted me to prove my fitness just to see what was going on with regards to that side of it. Done that. They wanted me to sign there and then. Um, I was meant to go for a few days and then come back home. But they said, look, we want you to sign. So I was like, I need to speak to my family. Like I was married. My daughter was three at the time. Um, so it's a case of, I need to go home. I haven't even got all my clothes here. I've only got like four days worth of clothes or whatever. So went back home. Spoke to my wife, I just said, look, I'm kind of 30, 31. It's an opportunity where normally you're ringing around saying, look, I'm out of contract, are you interested? This is different. An opportunity abroad, whatever. So it was just me. I went out there, went and signed. And the season out there is six months because obviously they get limited amount of daylight in the winter and stuff. So it runs from kind of late spring to like early winter. Um, went out there, played, really loved it and whatever else. So... On the day that um, they actually said they wanted to sign me, I was in the UK. That day, the Hereford manager actually called me. I think it was Martin Foyle at the time. And he was like, yeah, we want you to come down again. Just prove your fitness for a few days. We know all about you. We want to sign you. And I just said, look, literally half an hour before, I just received a phone call to say um, that there's a job for me. Um, so literally when I retired, so I've finished away from Iceland now, come back and this is the scenario I'm in. So it was a case of within an hour, I'd had a call saying you've been offered a position to work in an estate agent. And then another call to say, look, we want you to come and train for a few days and play. So I just said to Martin Paul, I said, look, I'm, I'm 31 now. I know going forward, I can still play for maybe five or six years because I'm, I'm fit. But I know I'm going to have to work eventually. And I know how hard it is to get a job. Anyway, even if you've got a good CV, whereas my CV was just sports-based. So I had to sell myself in the interview through my personality and whatever else. So I just said, look, I can't take your offer. And he actually said at that point, because they're in financial difficulty as well, he said, if I was in your shoes, I would obviously take your uh, take on that as well. So I commend you for doing that. So it was good of him to say that. Um, yeah, and then I've never looked back since, to be honest. So... I'm not working in estate agents anymore. I'm working in, still in property, but I work for like a tech stroke software company. So again, for me, it was a case of I'm playing today as a footballer and then the next day I was literally just out of the game. Uh, and it was one of those where it was just a surreal feeling because I remember driving back after that conversation from my mum's house. I was with my wife and she was like, are you going to do this? And I was like, well, I need to do it. I've been offered a job. So two years down the line, if I don't take the opportunity now, two years down the line, I may be struggling to get a job. So it was just weird. It, it, the whole thing was just like a bit of a dream. So, I mean, it, it can be done, but it's not always that easy. And I appreciate sometimes people do find it very difficult, which is why I like to speak to people like yourself just to get their take on it. Do you um, know what, though? The, the, I have to say that the initial bit for most people is really hard. Mm. I've got loads of friends that are ex-footballers. Mm. And honestly, I'm saying off the top of my head, I can think of one, maybe two, that actually miss playing, that actually miss the game. You know, like football can be a vicious industry. It, it's, yeah. you know, I, I always talk about I love the game, but I hate the industry. 
because there are so many people out there that will stamp all over you to just get half an inch higher than you. You yeah. know, the very few people in, in the game are in it to help, um, you know, and it, and you, you, you get a lot of people towards the end of the career that get really quite cynical and, and a little bit bitter and twisted and, and those kind of things. And that was one thing I promised that I would never allow myself to get. Mm. But when I speak to these guys that have gone away and similar to what you've just said there, that they haven't looked back, they've been, you know, they, they miss the camaraderie. They miss the banter in the dressing room. They miss all that kind of stuff. But actually, they don't miss the training. They don't miss the aches and the pains. They don't miss getting dropped. They don't miss getting booed. They, they don't miss all the stuff that, that can happen um, and often does. You know, like in, in 20 years, very rarely did I wake up on a morning without some kind of stiffness or soreness or something. Um, and so actually once they've made that decision and once it's happened, whether it was their decision or something out of their control, generally speaking, people can move on and, and go on and enjoy it. Um, but that, that initial bit, you know, I, I, I would honestly say that now after a year, well, 16 months of not playing is the first time that I've been absolutely totally comfortable that I'm not going to play again. You know, okay. I, I, I can, I can accept that that's not going to happen. And like I said earlier, I do have the odd little twinge where I think, oh, well, why don't I just sign up for a local team? <laughs> and I can have a game? Yeah. Well, what's the point? You know, like, other than maybe, you know, striking a couple of balls and feeling good about myself, other than that, what am I going to gain from it? You know, mm -hmm. I, if I want to be competitive, I'll go and have a game of golf with one of my mates and we'll, we'll have a go at that. Um, I'm lucky enough to be in the game and, and learning stuff about it now that, mm. you know, probably learning what, more consciously stuff that I've done in the past without knowing why, why or what I was doing just because mm. I thought it was the best thing to do. So, you know, I, I think um, we can all get caught in this bubble. We, we all have Peter Pan syndrome. You don't want to grow up as a footballer, do you? You don't want to go <laughs> to, you don't, we all want to stay young forever. Um, despite the fact that we know that the time will come and, and, and you will have to finish it. So I think going out on your own terms, great. Mm. Being able to make a, a, a clean break like you've described there, exceptional. Going out and accepting that there's going to be a few months, maybe a little bit longer, that you're going you're gonna to have these thoughts rattling around in your head that mm. you wish you could continue or you might get a little bit bitter or cynical or twisted or whatever it might be. Perfectly normal, perfectly uh, um, understandable. But, you know, there is more to life than football. The best, the best way I could probably look, look at it this psychologist that i told you about earlier mm. he um he did a thing he did a timeline with me so i was having a particularly rough time in the game at this point manager was yeah. making me train on my own um i knew that my time was, it was coming up to december so january transfer window was going to uh, open this mm. manager was not doing very well so i knew that in the very near future i'm gone or he's gone you know i wasn't getting back in while he was there but if he went i might still have something and this guy, he basically put, he gave me a couple of, he gave me two or three pencils and, he, and he, he looked at the wall and he said, if this wall is when you were born and this is you at 90 on your deathbed, he said, put a pencil down, you know, when you, where you are now. And I was about 31 and I put this pencil down, third away down the line. And, and he did it over this big, big, long room. So it was quite striking. Yeah. And he went, right, now here's another pencil. He said, when did you start playing? So I put it down when I was about 10 and it was about this much of a massive great line. He went, right, now now use this pencil. He said, put this down when this tough time is likely to end. Yeah. 
you put it down right next to the first pencil. So it's like this on this great <laughs> line. It's yeah. like this. At the time, it felt like everything to me. Every night I went to bed thinking about what's gone wrong. How can I get mm -hmm. out of it? Every morning I woke up hating having to go to training because this, my, this guy didn't rate me, didn't want mm -hmm. me, didn't like me, whatever it was. But actually, it's going to last about this long in the grand scheme of things. Mm. It said, right, now put this other one down when you're going to finish playing. So you put this other pencil down, and then you've got this massive great line that he's put down for you. And in it is about this. And that's your football career. Mm. And actually, this bit before it and this bit after it is, is life. This is the bit that isn't your football career. And as much as when you're in it, it feels like everything to you. Mm. It's a tiny, tiny portion of your life. It's maybe 10, 15%, 20% mm. if you're lucky of what your life is going to be and what it's going to look like. Mm. And so it, when he did that, it, it really put things in perspective for me. It really gave me a feeling of like, yeah, you know, these times are tough. Yes, we can all, you know, people have got it a lot tougher than what I had. I was playing football still. I was just playing on my own generally at that point. Um, but there's a lot worse out there. There's a real perspective that that gives you. And then there's a real understanding that football isn't everything. Mm. Um, and that there's so much more to life and, mm. you know, your, your family, your friends, your, your kids, you know, there's so much more, there's so much more important that you drop like that if it came to it. 100%, um, yeah. but it just feels like at the time that you're in the game, it's everything to you. It's yeah. all you've ever wanted and it's all you ever want. And actually, when you can kind of take a step back and look at it, and that timeline thing really worked for me. And I still use that now. If ever, if ever I'm having a rough time, it's like, well, look, you know, one way or another, this is going to end. It might be that I have to walk away from whatever it is, or I might have to end it, or it ends on that side. But actually, in the grand scheme of things, it's not going to go on forever. And, and I found that really, really beneficial. It was probably one of the best little kind of anecdotal type practices that I was given just to put perspective on what life really is that timeline's really interesting and for something so kind of simple it's a great outlook to have and i suppose that kind of works in everything but probably more so in football well in sport really but it's really interesting and again that kind of it kind of answers kind of why football sport is uh well retirement in football and sport or whatever you want to call it whether it's generic sport or just football is seen as a negative because sometimes people don't have that perspective that you just mentioned there with regards to the timeline because they see that they're playing football they're playing tennis or rugby and they're in that bubble they're in that dressing room kind of banter that everyone talks about and whatever and that's all they see and that's what identifies them and i think one thing that helped me a lot was i didn't associate myself as like a footballer i didn't just i wasn't just surrounding myself with footballers so for me, play football, do what I need to do, train, play well or play bad, whatever the circumstances are. But then when I go home, I'm with my family or I'm socialising with my friends who aren't affiliated with football at all. So that was my escape. And I've always been like that. My friends from kind of day one or whatever, 15, 20 years, some of them kind of near enough, kind of 38 years, um, they're still my friends to this day. So I knew, and they knew my personality, but... I knew that when it came to saying, oh, actually, I don't play football anymore, it wouldn't have an adverse effect on them. Some people would look at it, I've heard yeah. stories where they, they look at it and think, what, you're not playing? And now you're doing X, Y, and Z. Although I knew I had a, a viable job and a sustainable one and a respectable one, sometimes it doesn't work like that. You may end up working somewhere that 
long term you don't really want to be there maybe seen as an industry that's a bit embarrassing or whatever so sometimes people may not want to disclose what they're doing but my friends yeah. i believe from my perspective is that they wouldn't have that look on it um but again if you're in that football bubble and you've always been that type of person who would introduce yourself as a footballer or associate yourself with being a footballer or a tennis player first when it comes to retirement sometimes that can make it harder because those people that you may have looked down on beforehand they're probably on par with you if not above you in terms of kind of their career path yeah at that point so there's all of those things that you need to factor in and it, again it's not easy it all depends on your personality but Again, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, the one thing I always said, and I, I've kind of said it a couple of times there about how people get a bit bitter and twisted and really struggle to let it go. Mm. The one thing I think has, has made it really a lot easier for me, and I would recommend, you know, I would push this, advise it with anybody who is a footballer now, mm. is, and, and it's, it's really easy to say in, in retrospect, and I was lucky that in some ways that it was my personality and my attitude to do this. But all I ever wanted was that at the end of my career, whether that was at 30, 35, 40, whatever it was, mm. that I could go to bed and have no regrets. Mm. And so if I, you know, for me, that meant I knew I wasn't big. I knew I wasn't quick. I knew I wasn't that strong. Mm. But I absolutely worked my nuts off in the gym. I constantly looked at what I should be eating to try and get better in an industry that changes every two minutes. One minute in, in the early days when we started, it was all oh, get your carbs down, you eat loads of pasta, right? Pasta and went like that. So it <laughs> did not work for me. So like for me, I had to be eating something completely different. And it took me a while to get there. So what do I, how do I need to work out? Do I need to lift weight? I mean, I spent every off season running my nuts off up and down hills because I was so bad in preseason. I was at the back all the time. And it took me 10 years to realize that all I was doing was practicing running in a type of running that has got nothing to do with football. How many times in football do you set off on a whistle and then run for 12 minutes as fast as you can? It, it just doesn't work like that. But I was so paranoid that I, I needed to get fit and I didn't really know how to do that, that I just went and did that. So all I did was really train for pre-season runs, not for football. So as your career goes on, look into it, look into diet, look into nutrition look into s and c look into anything that can give you the edge go to bed at the right time train hard every day just one day at a time train as though it's the last day you're going to train enjoy every game you sometimes forget to enjoy the games because there's so much pressure on it at times to actually yeah. go and win enjoy the games enjoy the fans enjoy walking out at a stadium where people are paid to watch you play just make sure that you you kind of spend a bit of time just to reflect on that now and again and then go and do it all again for as long as you can do it that way when you've finished you won't look back and think oh shit i wish i'd have just done that mm. you know I, I can look back and i was desperate to be a premier league player mm. and i was desperate to be a championship player but actually i just wasn't good enough to be that i, I wasn't built that way the game changed while i was in it uh, in a way that went away from the type of player that i was mm. but i can look back and be proud and grateful that i managed to play as long as i played at the level that i played for and and have a life doing that that afforded me not great financial riches mm. but i got great experiences i got to watch my kids grow up and spend time with them when they were young 
Mm. Uh, I got to spend quality time with my my missus throughout that period because I wasn't having to work a, a nine till seven every day just to put food on the table. So mm-hmm. I did everything I could to be the best I could and got to as high as I could while doing it. I can now go to bed. I can now finish and I can go, do you know what? No regrets. I did, I did the best I could with what I had. And so I think that always gives me a sense of comfort that mm. it's gone now. I'm not getting it back. It's done. I did the best I could with what I've got. Right. What's next. And now for me personally, like I say, it's still in the game, but it's now about giving back. It's now about developing other people. It's now about helping it, it may well and hopefully will be at some point again about being the manager and molding the team and mm. trying to get three points again and getting back into the real heat of things. Mm. But, you know, if it's not, then I've no regrets for the time that I've had. And you'll find your way, won't you? you know, like with your, your situation, you know, I'm pretty sure no point during your football career did you go to bed and think, I want to work in estate agents. But you found <laughs> your way, it yeah. came about, and it's obviously done well for you. And so that's that's the kind of, the advice I would give any young player getting into it is is go for it, but have no regrets. Hundred percent, and that's a that's a great outlook to have, and that's great advice as well. So anyone that's listening, obviously take heed of that. Um, I want to touch on your football, like your playing career now. So obviously we first met at Lillyshaw. Um, so talk to me about kind of your experience at Lillyshaw. How did you find it? Obviously leaving home at fourteen, bunch of lads that you've never seen before. You're living in kind of unfamiliar surroundings but you're still going to a conventional school and all those things that we kind of have to deal with at that age from 14 to 16 so how was that for you how was Lillyshaw as a whole yeah I loved it mm. I I really I really enjoyed it I mean we it's funny enough like we had a review today at training with one of our under 18s players and mm. he's one that's moved from London to to be over here and you know his mum was on the other end of a zoom and and it brought back so many memories because you know his, his mum was obviously missing him and and mm. wanting the best for him and he was away from home and trying to settle into a totally new environment and, and mm. a new place and I, I could empathize so much with that with with how both of them felt mm. but again I, we, we kind of spoke about it a bit at the start I was really very mature at 14 both physically mm. and mentally you know mm. I was ready for it mm. um I was already convinced and desperate that I was going to be a footballer. This was an incredible opportunity. Mm. I mean, the coaches that we worked with, you know, Keith Blunt and uh, those kind of people um, training every day at 14, you know, essentially, you know, they took the model of Lillyshaw and that's what today's academies are. That's exactly what they are. Um, I think it was Howard Wilkinson, a, a guy who I work with now called Richard Hodgson, and a couple of other guys took the model of Lillyshaw and turned it into the current academy system. Mm. Um, and I, I thrived in it. I, I, you know, I enjoyed really every aspect of what we did. I missed being away from home, but I knew it was for the greater good in terms of what I wanted. Um, you know, we made good friends there, albeit like a lot in football, we, we all moved away from Lillyshaw. And how many of the guys do we still speak to now? You know, I. Mm. I I message the odd one now and then just to say hello, but generally, you know, social media has allowed people to stay, you know, connected a little bit longer. Yeah. Obviously, we we were going to have our reunion after 25 years, but then oh. uh, <laughs> and then COVID hit, so maybe we'll get together again at some point when you're allowed to. Hopefully, uh, but 
the education I enjoyed. I even enjoyed the fact that like none of the kids at our school liked us, did they? Like we were oh, just, great. I loved uh, it. <laughs> like, it was like a siege mentality, wasn't it? You know, yeah. like we were cocky footballers that rocked up from Billy Short and left lessons early to go and train. And the, <laughs> I think maybe the, maybe the odd girl liked us, but generally speaking, we were just hated by every bloke that was in that uh, school. But in theory, and, that made us stronger. That that brought us all together as a group. Absolutely, and, mm. and you know what? I, I actually speak to one or two of the students. I I, I do speak to every now and then via message that, that oh, really? a couple that didn't hate us. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's just what an opportunity, you know? What experiences? I I, I talk now, you know, the places that we went to play football, the players that we played against, you know. Yeah. I, 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 it, <laughs> It was just, you know, my my kind of go-to claim to fame when people say who's the best player you played against. Did you come on the Brazil trip when Ronaldinho played? No, because if you remember, I, I had a hairline fracture in my back, so I missed that trip. But I heard about Ronaldinho being there, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, what what a like, you know, I don't, I try not to drop names too much, but when that question gets asked, I light yeah. up. Who's the best player you played against? Well, it's funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> well i don't like to talk about it however <laughs> and unfortunately we we got beat in that game quite heavily and i think Ronaldinho scored three but it's still i mean those kind of things you, you're not going to forget oh yeah that's that's going to wow. stay with you so yeah you know and and i think i even still speak remember how, oh you didn't go on the trip sorry but the, the translator that came with us uh jose duque um, okay he came on that trip with us, owned a hotel. So there are some people that I'm still in touch with. Nice. You, you put into some of the guys, like when I did my A license, I came across Simo again, physio. Okay. Uh, uh, John Peacock, who used to do a bit with the England schoolboys, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, doing some of the badges that I'm doing. Mm. Um, Kenny Swain, who did a little bit at Lillishaw on and off. Yeah, yeah. He's now with the Premier League and he's on this course that I do at EHOC. So mm. you still see these people from time to time and it's great memories, great times. And, and I loved it. That's amazing. And obviously, so you've left Lily Shaw. You've obviously started your apprenticeship at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, how does it feel? Because I know you, I think you made your debut at Sheffield Wednesday, I believe. So is that right? How, how was that for you? Obviously, starting the apprentice. So I know what it was like for me. I joined Nottingham Forest and I was still injured bearing in mind that's your first pre-season, so that wasn't ideal for me. But I know I, I joined Forest with kind of high hopes and high expectations coming from FA National School and whatever else. So what was it for you? Because I know you were obviously really well regarded. So although we're all, for those that don't know, FA National School, really sure you have to be, you're basically the best 16, 17 players within England. In order to get in, you have to go on a multitude of trials. Um, so basically, you come together as a group, you get an assessed and you get through to a stage after stage. And it went on for about a year before you actually got selected, maybe longer than that. So basically you're there and you're the elite of the elite at that age, um, which sounds crazy because you're only 14, you're still growing and whatever else. Um, but when I got there, I realized that, and I've said this before, there, there's like another level. So we had Francis Jeffers, Scott Parker, and not only like a different level on the football pitch, but a different level when it came to like education. So like even at school, like obviously there's, there's people who are more intelligent than others. So we had like Paul Weekoff do was just, I've never seen anything like that in, in my life at that age anyway. 
Um, and obviously you saw he was, doing, he, was doing, he was doing Russian, wasn't he, in, in, uh, as a 14-year-old? Yeah. Ridiculous, yeah, ridiculous. And then in terms of stature, so, I, I mean, we're the same height now, but I remember when I was at the Lucia and you were, you were massive, as in, you weren't necessarily really tall, but you were built like a man, okay? And then we had people like Stuart Taylor, who was like six foot four and at 14 and still growing. And people like Lee Cannibal, Matthew Gent, and who are also really tall. So for me, it was like an eye opener in the sense that I knew I could hold my own, more than confident on the pitch. But I knew there was another level, obviously training every day, a different outlook on the game. Because um, Keith Blunt, who was our coach at the time, probably one of the best coaches I had, his outtake was, it's not about you. So if you're a really skillful player, it's not about you showing off your skills. It's about you integrating that within the team. So it was all about passing move and being a team member, a team player, if that makes sense. So all those things and all those facets. So that was how I kind of initially, that was my kind of outlook on it, for at least for the first six months anyway, and probably throughout, essentially. So again, for you, I always saw you as like someone who was very studious, always wanted to know more about the game, studious both in football and outside of football as well, uh, very mature, Again, we used to do some silly things, and obviously you were never really involved in that because you were always really mature. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you've obviously left Lily Shaw. You've gone to Sheffield Wednesday. Everyone's talking about Kevin Nicholson and obviously Alex Higgins, who was there as well, and, and uh, Peter Holmes as well. I think you all went to Sheffield Wednesday from Lily Shaw. So how was that? Because obviously that's a pressure environment you're going into with high hopes. Yeah, you know what? Initially, great. You know, we went in... Um... We, we all signed pro at 17. So whereas everybody was doing two year YTS, we were, we were professionals at 17. Mm. Um, we got, uh, you know, my first season, first preseason, I got to go away with the first team on preseason tour. So I went to, uh, funnily enough, down to Devon. Mm. Um, and then, um, uh, and then we went over to Holland and had a preseason trip over there. So I played kind of made my non-professional debut in those kind of games. Mm. Then, the honest truth is, like a lot of kids, back then, you know, it's that it's the the Matthew Said uh, bounce book where basically all of the footballers and all of the best players were like what we now know as Q1 birthdays. So they were all born in kind of September, October, November because we were the most physically uh, mature. Therefore, we got picked first. Therefore, we got the most practice. Therefore, we became the best players. And a lot of those later birthdays and less mature, less physically uh, grown kids fell by the wayside. But then the reality when you go to you know, adult football is I was no longer the guy that towered over people. I was no longer the strongest. I was, the, I was one of the quickest lads at Lillishaw. Mm. When it actually came to being a professional, I was renowned throughout my career as being slow. <laughs> uh, you know, like it, it, it's amazing what, you know, when I tell people like, oh no, but back, back then I was like, I was the quickest, I was the strongest. I got in, I trialed at Lillishaw as a centre midfielder because I could just get up and down the pitch, dominate mm. people physically. I could strike it further than anybody else. So I used to score 30 goals a season, mostly mm. from about 25, 30 yards out. Keepers weren't big enough to stop it. You know, I was totally mm. dominant. And then I remember Craig Simmons at the Lillishaw standing me up against the wall when they were doing all the measurements in like the first couple of weeks. And he basically said, you better make sure that you get technically better because people are going to catch you up. And, oh, wow. and it, it stuck with me something rotten to the point where when it started to happen, I was like, wow, 
Mm. Right, because I was convinced, even when I met my missus, at, like, I met my now wife when I was 18, and I, I told her early on, no, I'm, I'm still growing. Like, I was an early developer, but I'm just going to have that next bit. I think <laughs> I'm going to end up at about six, six two. you know, don't worry mm. about that. I absolutely kidded myself on. Mm. Um, and so I was kind of five nine at 12 and, and five nine now. And when I got to Sheffield Wednesday, everybody caught me up. So I, I still had, I was lucky enough to have exceptional quality on my left foot. Mm. So I, I probably did have Premier League quality in terms of passing and crossing and delivery and that kind of stuff. Mm. But all of a sudden, I was on the back foot. People were quicker than me. People could get past me. No one could get past me before. But 1v1, I had to kind of really refine what 1v1 defending looked like because I couldn't just get away with racing people anymore. I had to be in the right position. Mm. Uh, I had to have my body shape right. I had to read where the ball was coming from. And that was a massive learning curve at that age because I was the best. I was England captain for two years. Mm. I, I you know, and I wasn't arrogant with it and I wasn't like um, carried away. I just wanted to continue to get better. And I was having this realisation that I'm getting caught up. Um, mm. they, then, they then changed the uh, setup in England. So under 18s, they changed the age rather than it being school years. It was actual years. So mm. then Gareth Barry, who's a year older than me, essentially came in and I went from England captain at under 16 to not even in the squad at under 18. So that was like a massive, wow, hold on, how's that happen? Yeah. All of a sudden, I went from the oldest and the biggest to the youngest and the smallest. So mm. you're, you're out of it. Mm. Um, all right, no problem. It's not about that anymore. I want to be a pro and so on. So you, you get on with it. I just couldn't physically dominate like I could before. So one of my kind of superpowers it, it, it evaporated pretty much overnight. And then... I made my debut out of the blue because I, I thought I was on my way out anyway. And uh, Paul Jewell gave me my debut in 2000, I think it was. I came on, uh, it was a game actually live on Sky against Blackburn and Andy Hinchcliffe got injured and, and after 20 minutes and I came on and I'd been in Derby all day with my family because I didn't think I was in the squad. And, yeah. uh, and I called to say you're on the bench, which was like, I can't believe it, followed by you're on here. And I did okay. You know, I went on, I played as I can play. This was championship now. Uh, they'd mm. been relegated from the Premier League. Mm. I, I did pretty well. And I actually went away thinking, do you know what? I'm going to play the next game because he was yeah. injured. At the time I went there, there was um, Lee Briscoe, Andy Hinchcliffe were the two left backs and I was behind them. So it was quite a hard one to break into. Mm. But with them both injured, I, I'm in. Next game, he plays Richie Humphreys, a left winger at left back. And I never get anywhere near it again. And that, that was my one and only appearance for Sheffield Wednesday. And then I went on trial to Hearts, um, went up there as a left back, played 20 minutes in a trial game. I was there for a week. Uh, I didn't start in the trial game. The pitches were all frozen. So we trained on AstroTurf indoors all week. Um, came on as a left winger when I was a left back for 20 minutes. And then Craig Levine, who was in his first stint there, called me and told me I was too small. Now... Imagine being told you were too small after being the most physically dominant guy in the room throughout the last seven or eight years since you've been playing. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a real knock. And then all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm out of the game here. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. And I managed to get, um, I got my last kind of few months at Sheffield Wednesday paid up and went on a few trials and I ended up at, at Northampton in League One and, and as it happened um, Nigel Spink was their goalkeeping coach 
and he was also joint manager at Forest Green. So they they signed me on dual registration. So I actually went and played in the conference. I played one game in the conference for Forest Green and one game in the FA Trophy. Yeah. Did really well. And then Northampton pulled me back and I started playing for them in League One. And it was a total... And, and I was actually... This is how quick it turned. I'd gone from... On my way out at Sheffield Wednesday, thinking I was one of the big hitters, um, and I think I was on about 500 quid a week, thinking I was doing all right as a 17, 18, 19-year-old. Yeah. And I went to Northampton, and my debut was against Notts County, my full debut. I came on against Luton, who Pete Holmes was funny enough. He'd moved to Luton at that point, and he was playing. Yeah. Um, I came on against them for 20 minutes, did really, really well. Made my starting debut in League One away at Notts County. We got beat, but I had a really good game as a left wing back. Mm. Got a call the next day from um, from Notts County. We'd like to sign you. Well, I was on non-contract, so they didn't have to pay anything. It was a seven-day um, yeah. put seven-day notice in. All of a sudden, now Northampton were desperate to keep me. I played about. I'd ended up playing about six or seven games. Mm. Uh, Notts County wanted me, and now I was actually in a position where I was negotiating, and it was one against the other. So nice. I went from we'll give you two years. Well, we'll give you three years. We'll give you 600 quid. Well, we'll give you 800 quid. So I actually ended up on a better contract, yeah, yeah. playing regularly in League One. All of a sudden, right, I'm right back on track. I'm at it again. Mm. And then you, it's that how quick football turns. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, this is it. I've smashed it. It was just that manager didn't like me at Sheffield Wednesday. I'm on my way back. And, and then the same kind of thing happens. I was lucky enough to play most of the games at Knotts. I played, you know, over 100 games for them in the kind of two and a half, three years I was there. But when another manager came in who, who didn't fancy me, I was then on my way out again on loan to Scarborough in the conference. Mm. Um, you know, I've got the horror stories about Russell Slade asking me. He was at Scarborough when I went there on loan. He he then moved to Grimsby in League Two, asked mm. me to come in, um, come and sign. I thought, brilliant. Went there. He went, right, well, give it a couple of weeks. We just want to have a look at you and this other lad. And I thought, well, hold on. You said I was signing. Like, yeah. So I did a two-week pre-season at Grimsby. Um, living at a friend's house in Hull, who I used to play with at, at Notts County, traveling into Grimsby, training every day. And he, he went with the other left back. And I, I, you told me that I was signing. And now, and that was like a week before the season started. I, I've got nowhere. I'm done. I'm out of it again. Mm. And everyone's got those kind of horror stories. It's a common theme in football. Mm. Uh, but then opportunity came that, the, you know, just again, blind luck. The left back at Scarborough, who'd kind of come in, got sent off in pre-season and, and, and that suspended him for the first couple of day, uh, games in the season. So they asked if I'd come and, and fill in. Yeah. Went, played well. But at that point, at Scarborough, they then offered me a year's contract, but it was 10 months. You didn't get paid over the summer. Mm. It was not enough money to cover my outgoings, but mm. I was adamant that I could still make it and get back to the championship. So I was willing to lose money for as mm. long as it took for me to get back there. Yeah. Two years of that, um, Scarborough went bust, like got relegated, liquidated, you know, disappeared. Mm. Went to Forest Green, like renting a room in some guy's house in Gloucester. It was like a single bed. It was about the size of a single bed, another half a single bed. Oh. Renting this because I was living with my missus in Sheffield, and yeah. you know, it was still chasing that dream that I was going to mm. be a player. Um, some great stories there, but that'll be a different podcast. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, and then at the end of that season, got called up to play for England C. And even that was blind luck because I didn't get called up. Two other left backs said they didn't want to go. And then uh, I'd finished the season. I'd been at home for a week. And I got the call, England C, I'd like you to go and play in the Home Nations tournament in Scotland. 
So I, I went, brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I got a football. I took my missus down the park and I had her feeding me headers and volleys because I'd been <laughs> resting. I'd not done anything for a week. So I had her kind of throwing balls for me to chase her around the local park to try and get my touch back. Went up there, did well. And, and from that, Torquay, well, Torquay, Barnet and Grays, who were paying big money at the time, called. And I was back on that way again. And, and we chose the Torquay route and, and here I am now. So it's uh, it's been a, a roller coaster in that sense. But I think every footballer, unless you're at the top end, every footballer's got that kind of story. Crazy, yeah. It's kind of, I resonate with a lot of that. It's kind of told one thing, but they mean another. Come on trial, but then it ends up being kind of, I don't know, three, four weeks when they told you it was going to be a couple of days. It's just, yeah, very up and down, not getting paid in the summer and stuff. So I can kind of relate to a lot of that, what you mentioned. Um, just one more thing, obviously, on your on your playing career. So you've obviously gone from Lily Shaw to then Sheffield Wednesday, Premier League Championship, and then you've obviously gone into the lower league. So how did you find it? Because lower league football now is different to what it was like 15, 20 years ago, especially for yeah. players like us who are kind of small. I heard horror stories where you need to be six foot. It's just kick and run. Luckily for me, when I left Leicester, a footballing team to a certain degree, I went to Bournemouth and I knew it was kind of total football there. Um, so in theory, there's a bit of a step up. And I, the reason I say a step up was because I was coming from more or less like reserve team football. As you know, there's no kind of, it's not competitive at all. Although I had been involved with the first team, I was now going to play full time. So for me, it was a case of going down there and kind of learning the game. And those players, although they were young, they played like 200 games in the league. They were strong, fit. So it was kind of just, Again, another learning curve for me, but teams that we played against, some of them were literally just kick and run, and it was hard to play against. And again, the facilities and whatever else, infrastructure and things like that that you have to deal with, in terms of discrepancy, there's quite a large discrepancy from, say, Leicester, and then going down to, say, League One at that time. We got relegated into League Two and then obviously bounced back again. But how was it for you? Because I know kind of, you kind of had this, a similar career to me in the sense that you went from kind of up there to kind of middle and then whatever else. So what was that like for you? Well, again, I was grateful. Like uh, one game at Sheffield Wednesday, so I can't really uh, attest to how great the championship or Premier. I was, I was on the bench in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, one of those games was against Arsenal and it was pretty much their invincible team. So it was Mark Overmars on the right. And I don't think I've ever not wanted to get on a pitch. <laughs> Um, and and I had a, I had Villa away and, and Middlesbrough at home, so some, some good experiences without getting on. One game in the Championship and a few on the bench. Well, you know I can't really say too much about that back then. Mm. Leak what when I went and, and dual registered at Northampton and not uh, and at Forest Green. My first game for Forest Green, we played uh, Northwich Victoria at home. Forest Green's old ground on a hill, horrible conditions. Mm. We went 1-0 up and they came out for the second half, put five up front and just launched it. Absolutely launched it. And you know what? I've never enjoyed a game of football as much as that. Like, I loved it because it meant something. It was three points. It was a manager that had to win. It was fans in the stand again. It was, I don't care if it's on the floor or not. We, we have to win. And we won 1-0. And mm -hmm. I drove home absolutely on cloud nine. Getting, wow. into, getting into League One. League One back then, I would equate to League Two now. Mm. So I was lucky. I, I played probably about 100 games in League One and um, and grateful for that experience. Played at some really good grounds. 
but it was similar kind of football to to League Two now. Very much up, back and through, you know, get the ball out wide, get balls in the box. Um, you know, not total football by any stretch. Pitches weren't as good in, in a lot of ways as what they are now. So, you know, yeah. falling apart at the end of the pit at the end of the year. So you had to find a way of playing and being effective. Um, I, I wasn't massive, but I was good in the air. So I kind of, I wasn't um, kind of singled out at the back post like a lot of fullbacks that aren't the tallest and that kind of stuff. So I, I, I just enjoyed the competitive nature of that football. League, uh, sorry, National League. When I first went to the National League, I found it so easy because I just felt I was a League One player. Mm-hmm. So in training, it really shocked me. We did a keep ball the first day that I went in at Scarborough and I was almost horrified at how often the ball got given away. Mm. I couldn't get my head around it. Like, why are they not just controlling it and passing it? This isn't a, a small area that we're in here. It's yeah. not great. But at the same time, come on. Um, but it was lads finding their way. They were at their level. They were trying to get themselves better and get up. And again, for me, it was back being the main man. I'd, I'd been frozen out at Notts County. The manager didn't want me. I'd not played for a, a six weeks, however long it was. I was back to being one of the first names on the team sheet. Scored on my debut. Um and and we had that was the year Scarborough got uh, Chelsea in the FA Cup, and so they had a massive backlog of games. So when I went at the end of the season, we played Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday. It was madness. We had about thirteen games. You, you hear like Klopp and those lot moaning about too many games. <laughs> yeah, we were playing like four games a week. So I think we had thirteen games in five weeks, and wow. it. But you know what? It was amazing because it was. Fans meant something, get points on the board. They'd done really well in the cup, but because of it, they'd slipped down the league and they had loads of games in hand, but they were in a tough spot. So we had to win a certain amount of games to make sure we didn't get sucked into any kind of relegation battle. And we did that. So essentially, it was play, rest, play. It's absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Um, but the National League was tough. It was just ugly football. And you got, you got a mixture generally of really good athletes who weren't fantastic on the ball. I got a lot of wingers that I describe as speedboat, no driver. Yeah. You know, like they could fly up and down, but even if they beat me, they're probably going to kick it off the pitch. Mm. But then you had you had other guys who were technically excellent, but were probably out of shape or not physically gifted. Yeah. So they could do do you with their quality, but if you got tight, they couldn't do you for pace. Mm. And once you figured that out, you became a, a good. You know, I, I was a very good national league player. Mm. Then we got into. Um, into League Two with Torquay and that was essentially what League One was it caught me out at first at first I wasn't expecting too big a difference but for the first six months I really struggled in League Two I I got you know that was when that manager shouted on that he can't move I had those kind of experiences and it really shocked me I didn't think there was that big a difference but then towards the end of the season I got myself back in the team figured it out actually became what I think was probably my level you know League I was a good League Two player. I got in 2012, I got in League Two PFA Team of the Year. And that was probably my kind of highlight as an individual, mm. other than the promotion at Torquay. That was probably my individual highlight. Mm. And, and I felt that that was me, established. I could do this at this level. I could play for quite some time here if mm. things go as, as I hoped. Um, but that was probably the same as what League One was 10 years before that when I was playing. Mm. Mm. Uh, and like, I look at it now and I spent a lot of time watching when I, I lost my job at Torquay as manager. And, and you've got the Conference South, which is a massive mix of 
good young players, good players on their way out because of age, and mercenaries who should be playing higher, but they've just gone because there's some clubs that always end up with loads of money, so mm-hmm. they'll pay them well to go and play twice a week. Yeah. Um, a huge step between Conference North and South and the National League itself, like really big. That's why not many of those teams that go up, unless it's a Salford, who've got crazy money and they can just climb the leagues. Yeah. Most teams, when they go up from the, the, the North or the South, really struggle in the National League. Yeah. Um, National League to League Two, I'd say 5% difference, but it could catch you out. You know, like those guys who are really quick but not great quality become really quick with half-decent quality. Yeah. And those really, really technical guys who can't move become really, really technical guys that have got a change of pace. Mm. Um, but essentially similar styles of football still mm. very gung-ho very much fight 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 little bit of quality here and there but we're going to outwork your type of football yeah and then another massive massive step between league two and league one where tactics come into it a lot more um, there's a lot more out thinking goes on a lot more out playing goes on a lot of teams will let you have the ball and sit back and hit you on the break and you find a lot of teams that go up from League Two, if you look at the, the league now, um, League One, most of those teams that went up are round and about lower half and below because they struggle with to adapt. Mm. And then I watched a couple of championship games and it's mind-blowing. Everybody's six foot four, strong as an ox, absolutely rapid. Mm. And it's 100 mile an hour for 90 minutes. And I, I always watch football. And even now I watch it and I think I could still do that. That little voice in my head kicks off again that I can mm. still play and... I kid myself on a bit, but I look at a lot of football and think I could probably just about get away with doing that. Mm. Um, even even I, even watch international football, and you know how slow that is at times. You think I yeah, could stand yeah. at, I could stand at left back for England without moving and ping a ball about, no problem. Mm. I looked at the championship. Oh my god, I couldn't get near that. They really? are massive. They are, it was relentless pace and power and banging into each other and running at each. It was just. And we, the, the games I watched I happened to be about pitch level. And yeah. I, it was just mind-blowing how physically strong these guys were. And oh. then, obviously, again, you take them and then they go in the Premier League. And now, all of a sudden, the technique and the pace and the precision, mm. it, it blows them out of the water. Because it's yeah. all right being big and strong and quick. But if you can't get the ball, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, that's the next step again. So there's those steps that I've seen throughout the, the football. And, and you're right, it's forever evolving. It's forever changing. It's only getting quicker. Mm. And our job at Exeter now is to try and see the future. How do we prepare players for a game that isn't going to be the same five years from now? Mm. And that's the, that's the challenge. That's what we're trying to do to continue to, to you know, bring players through and into our first team and beyond because they're the kind of things that keep the club running and, and, and sales being made. But mm. yeah, fascinating game. Loved, loved every minute of being in around it and hopefully I've got a few more years. Amazing. I'm, I'm sure you'll be fine. Um, just to close now, like, I, I always kind of ask the question, do you think more help's needed for athletes in general? So not necessarily just talking about football, but in, in terms of sport, when it comes to kind of transitioning away and finding another career path, whether it be in sport still, but upstairs in kind of boardroom level or whatever, or just completely away from sport, do you think more help's needed for athletes? I think so. I think I, I'm lucky on this course, on this EHOC course, we, we get assigned mentors. So we, we get, you know, a certain amount of time each week or every other week where we get to sit like this, you know, virtually at the moment 
and we get to speak to these guys and it's about passing the course so it's about them giving us the tools and the understanding of what it's going to take to pass it but it's also if we need to talk we can talk so one one of these guys is a a, a clinical psychologist one of them is a sport related mentor mm. um the guy that i've got is a guy called gordon lord who is ex-cricket rugby um uh, and, and he's absolutely brilliant he can relate to me from a sporting point of view the, the psychologist I work with is a lady called Rowan Bradford, who is fantastic at understanding what you're going through, your emotions, your, the way people think, um, you know, thinking about how you think. This is the kind of depth that you go in. Now, actually, that would be of real help to a lot of ex-sports people in general. Mm. Thinking about how you think, understanding how your mind works, understanding what you're feeling, why you're feeling it. Because once you become mindful of it and you, you get it and you can reflect on it, then you can start to put it to bed and move on a little bit. And mm. those, kind of, those kind of people, experienced people, either in the world of sport or in the world, world of psychology, I, I think if you can find the right one, there's not always, it's not always going to fit you perfectly. So you might have to shop around without mm. being too crude. Um, but if you can find the right one to have those discussions with who can relate to you and help you you know, see the light and find your way, then I think it would help a hell of a lot of people who are mm. struggling quietly with something that they probably don't understand because mm. all logic would state that why is it such a big deal? Just move on and go and do something else. But Yeah, that's amazing. That, that sounds great, to be honest. Um, I mean, really appreciate you coming on. Great to catch up. Obviously, we haven't spoke for years. Hopefully, once this COVID thing's kind of gone to bed, so to speak, we can obviously all catch up again, uh, do our little reunion. Um, but like I said, appreciate coming on. Hopefully, I mean, onwards and upwards for you by the sound of it. I'm sure you'll be fine anyway. Um, so long may that continue. Um, just one more thing. Uh, where can we find you? Obviously, you're working at Exeter Football Club at the moment. But in terms of kind of social media, LinkedIn, whatever it may be, where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much the, the kind of modern, uh, I've tried to stay up uh, or down with the kids, is it? So I'm, I'm on Twitter, I'm on, um, I'm on Instagram, I'm on, um, um, oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn. So there is actually another Kevin Nicholson out there. So he, okay. he's got way, way more hair than me. We're both from, Dar we're both from Derby. We're both from the same village in Derby, believe it or not. Oh, wow. He did used to coach at Exeter as well um, and I have been mistaken for it I've had several calls telling me that I, I've been unsuccessful in an application that I never made um, <laughs> so yeah so just make sure you get the right one I, I'm that one um, yeah. but yeah no uh, it's uh, it's been great chatting mate really appreciate it brilliant uh, appreciate that um, we'll speak soon uh, try and keep in touch um, but yeah good luck and uh, thanks for coming on like I said Pleasure, mate. Take care. Thank you. Speak soon. Thanks. Bye. Yeah.